right, this is Gary Parrish again from CBS Sports, and it's now Thursday, December 10th. This is the Eye on College Basketball Podcast. We've got a lot to get to. It's been a fun week, uh, highlighted, I think, so far uh, by Oklahoma's dominance of Villanova and Dayton uh, winning at Vanderbilt last night. I've now got them in the top 25 and one, uh, ranked 21st in the country. But first things first, I have to uh, tell you, last week, uh, or earlier this week, rather, we started the podcast by uh, discussing in, in in little detail, but uh, for some length, uh, just how much Matt Norlander's life has changed with the uh, birth of his baby boy. And I have to tell you, the both of you, my life has changed drastically over the past week as well. Oh, how so, Gary? What happened, GP? I Well, first, my two-year-old spilt... Um, in the spirit of being honest, my 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 vodka soda straight into <laughs> into my back into my MacBook. I had it. Uh, his mother uh, was wrapping Christmas presents because, like, that's something you do in early December, I guess. I don't know. I don't get involved. And so she's wrapping Christmas presents. So there's Christmas. Uh, uh, so there's wrapping paper, like rolls of it, lying around everywhere. Uh, of course, a two year old decides this this makes for a good sword fight. So he and I are sword fighting, and uh, because I'm so nimble, I was able to dodge his swing. But my my vodka soda it doesn't move. It just sits right wherever I sat it, and I set it right next to my computer on the table. And he missed me, but he hit it, and it went into the computer. So I was devastated, right? Like, um, it just in case you didn't know, if you ever spill a big glass of vodka, or I think any liquid basically, but I know for certain vodka into a keyboard, that's it, game over. You're done. That that's all. It, there, there ain't no letting it yeah, dry out. That's there's dumb. no there's no sticking that computer in a big bowl of rice. No, no, that, that's over with. So I had to uh, reluctantly, uh, but but necessarily go purchase a brand new uh, MacBook. And I will tell you, I have now been exposed to text message through your MacBook on iMessage. Right. It's, it has changed my life in such a positive way, and I'm confident I could have done this on my old MacBook as well. But, yes, you know, that's true. but you know me, like if it ain't right in front of me like, and like I know how to do it from the start, I ain't learning how to do it, um, you know, over the years. And so uh, but this one, like it just I don't know what happened. Like I plugged it in and I put in my uh, uh, Apple pass, my uh, iTunes password. And next thing you know, I can text straight from my MacBook. And I'm like, I really feel good about this. This is like one of the best weeks in, in my life recently. Well, I'm, I'm very happy that you discovered this tremendously simple yet efficient and by no ways newfangled way to communicate with people that, <laughs> that is texting through. Have people been doing this for? Have people been doing this for years? It's been around for a while. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say I've been doing this for I think two years. You know what? Yeah. Like, uh, God, really? I, like, yeah. I feel like I'm. I feel like I'm, ex- I'm. I'm like explaining to you guys how I just found out about um, Wi-Fi. <laughs> you know, like there's this new, there's this new cool thing. Like, you don't even have to plug in a cord in to be on the internet. It's crazy. Have you guys heard about it? Hey, but for real here, and Sam actually might be a little too young to actually truly appreciate this, but GP, I remember, dude, this is going to kind of, for young listeners, this might make us sound old, and I'm, we're not even that old. I'm pretty sure me, you remember how, I'm pretty sure me being amazed by texting through your computer already made me sound old, so you knock yourself out. No, 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 but do you remember just the, the pure notion of text messaging around like 2001 and how amazingly mind blowing that was like, wait a second on my phone, I can send you actual messages. Like that was a complete and total game changer. It changed, it changed the whole drug dealing game. (laughs) 
Jesus That's exactly Christ. where I was going. <laughs> That's exactly where I was going with it. But basically that and uh Remember remember tech- Matt when you used to want to get a bag, you'd have to like pick up the phone and call somebody and then suddenly you could just like text them. Uh, yeah, uh something like that. Basically the text <laughs> messaging game and Napster kind of came together uh at like the same time and so for you to be able to basically steal music and get it for free by downloading it off the internet and be able to text message your friends through your cell phones, these those old those old crappy Nextels and everything. Those were total game changers. You know, so with the with the sky, like all this stuff is like like the world's changed so much. Just like it, even in my adult life, it has changed so much. I mean, listen, I'm approaching forty. I'm thirty eight years old. So like my adult life has been lengthy at this point. But um, like I, like with recent news, uh, like last week, I guess when Scott Weiland died. It reminded me of like, you know, it reminds you of your youth. Like I was in high school when those albums were released. And I can just remember a time when an album was released and like you'd have to, you know, you'd, you'd go to the store to buy it. Yes. You know, you'd go to the store and you'd buy it and then you'd take the little plastic covering off and you'd throw it in. Your seat. And it felt like all of your friends were like at the same store getting the same album. And like now, like I don't even know that people listen to albums anymore. They just listen to songs. Uh, yeah. You know? Don't even get me started on this, but yes, I'm I'm there with you very much. So, um, how you doing, Sam? <laughs> oh, I'm all right. You know, just <laughs> Sam's like just sitting over here being talking about <laughs> being 25, just sitting over there being uh, young, just, and, just, just uh, sitting over there having never dialed up in his life. I'm trying <laughs> exactly. to think. Yeah, I used to. I used to have to dial up to get on to AOL or uh, what was it, America Online, America Online. or. Yeah, uh, yeah. Used to have to used to have to do that, and uh, now I don't. And it's I, I don't know. You you had to because I'm talking like '97. You literally had to unplug the phone in your house to use the internet. <laughs> yeah, like you literally uh, had to be like, yeah, I want to go on the internet for 20 minutes. Can I unplug the phone? No, yeah, no. That was like a deal. It was like, hey, um, all right. Make sure no. And then if somebody would call, it would knock you offline. Exactly. Oh my gosh. How frustrating was that? That was the worst. Like, wow. You're, you're sitting there trying I, to look I at I had no uh, idea we were starting the podcast like this, and I'm so happy we did because you're just bringing back such amazingly terrible memories no, of what it used to be like. No, it was crazy. Like, um, and I, it's funny, technology has always been this way for me. Like, I, I always, I don't resist it as much as I, I find it unnecessary on its surface. So, meaning like this, I remember when Wi-Fi first became a thing. Like you could you could have Wi-Fi. Like, and I was like, okay, what does that mean exactly? And they were like, we well, don't you don't have to you don't have to put the uh, the cord in the thing. And I was like, yeah. They're like, you don't have to do that anymore. I was like, yeah, but like, what's the big deal? So I plug a cord in. Like, who cares? Like, what? Why does it? I just plug a cord into a router and I sit there and work. Um, like, why why do I need to not be plugged into a router? And they were like, just stop being stupid. Just like it's great. And and then you get it, of course, and you can't imagine not. You can't imagine having to plug into a router every time now, right? But at the time, I was like, this is fine. Like, I plug into the router, no big deal. And then, like, literally everything after that, like, um, uh, you know, smart, like, even anything you do on your phone. I, how about this? This is a perfect example. Why do I need a text message from my computer? I can just do it on my phone. What's the big deal? But now I'm text messaging from my computer. I've never been happier my whole life. It's so much easier to text from Holy crap. It's so great. God, it's good. God, it's, it's so good. good. Now we're going to get you, GP. We're going to, since you're so excited about iMessage and texting from your computer, so happy. We're going to get you into, uh, we're going to get you into Slack, the communication message. <laughs> for, for, it's, if you can get iMessage down, you can get Slack down, I assure you. Y'all been working on me on that for like a month now. I, I tried it one day. I like tried to figure it out. I spent like a, a solid 12 minutes on it. And I was like, 
I can't. This is this is impossible. I mean, this is ridiculous. It felt it like takes I, two minutes. Felt like I was trying to like open a safe, but I didn't have the combination. Like you know, like like if you had to, if you had to, if somebody said, "Hey, go open that safe," and you'd be like, "Okay, what's the combination?" And they were like, "You figure it out." That, that's what I felt like. I felt the like I was just the turning. The Slack chat room just feels incomplete without your presence in I'll there. Try, okay, I'll try to figure that out at some point over the next couple of days. Hey, I mentioned Dayton winning last night um, yeah, in Van the, at Vanderbilt in Nashville. They're now seven and one. Lone loss to Xavier. It was a it was a lopsided loss, but still just a loss to an undefeated uh, team that's seemingly awesome and maybe the Big East favorites. They've got a lopsided win over Alabama. They got a win over a pretty good Iowa team. And then a road win at Vanderbilt in a game where they, they trailed by 16 but but came back. And they're doing all this without Dyson Pierre, which means Archie Miller and his staff are doing all this, uh, again, shorthanded. Last year they were winning games with six scholarship players, nobody taller than 6'6". Now, leading returning score, still not on the roster. Just go into Vanderbilt and beat a good a good what I think is a good Vanderbilt team. Like uh, I know you talked to Arch this morning, Norlanda. What what does he make of all this? I'm confident he doesn't take as much credit as he probably deserves. He doesn't, and I'll uh, I'll kind of keep it short because I'm going to have a piece. Anyone listening now, the the column's probably up on CBS Sports at this point. But um, brief takeaways: well, Yeah, Archie won. You know, he's a uh, few coaches are really able to. I guess uh, truly not genuinely want to take credit for like such an amazing job as he does it's 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 kind of crazy in fact sometimes i'm even surprised i can even get him on the phone to talk about this kind of stuff because he's he's really not all about that but it's it is incredible that they're they're seven and one again and they don't have dyshawn pierre and dyshawn's coming back i'll let sam kind of talk about dayton if he wants but in in regard to the dyshawn thing i did talk to archie extensively about dyshawn coming back and what to expect there and there might be a presumption, and I admit that I kind of had the presumption that um, Dyshawn would kind of immediately filter back in and be a part of the team and be seeing playing time and being in the starting lineup. That's not necessarily going to be the case. So Pierre was suspended by the school for the first semester. That suspension is technically lifted on December 20th. Archie said at that time, and only at that time, will he then sit down with Dyshawn and his family, and they're going to figure out and evaluate the best way to get him back with the team and then playing again. He didn't rule out December as a possibility, but he really made it seem like Dijon's not going to be uh, a factor in getting significant minutes until January for a few reasons. One, he doesn't even know. He's got to see what kind of shape he's in. Uh, Archie really is a big believer in you know the whole notion of basketball shape. And listen, you can work out all you want, but unless you've actually been running the practices and playing in games, it's not going to be the same talented as you might be. So he's got to take that into account and just you know getting Dyshawn back into the mix with the team. So I was a little surprised by this, but for Dayton fans that are excited for Pierre to come back after that suspension, which of course you know should mention was tied to uh, a sexual assault allegation that Pierre strongly and vehemently denies and has attempted to sue. The University of Dayton actually for suspending him over these charges. Um, with that being lifted, it might take a little bit of time for him to factor in. But having said that, um, Miller again has just done an outstanding job because he's had. He, they've got a really really young team. That'll be part of what the the column is about. Is they're seven and one again. They win at Vanderbilt after being down by sixteen and that blowout loss to Xavier. Miller basically said it was because of that that we were actually able to kind of keep ourselves steady. And, uh, and come back and beat a Vanderbilt team that's really good on offense but couldn't hold on to a 16-point win at home. You know, that doesn't really surprise me uh, because coaches, like, they, they get into a, um, 
a rotation. Like they get into these are the guys I can trust. They're playing well together, and it's very mm-hmm. difficult. I don't care how talented you are to just jump right back into m- the middle of a team game if you haven't even been involved in practices at all. So um, I-, I suspect by the time we get to February, Dyshawn will be a big part of that team. Maybe the leading score on the team, but. Uh, it doesn't surprise me that Archie's anticipating it being a bit of a process. It surprise you at all, Sam? Um, no. I mean, like you said, coaches, you know, trust the guys they trust. So, uh, especially given the way Dayton's playing right now, I mean, they're what are they seven and one? I believe now yeah. with only a loss to Xavier. It was a big loss to Xavier, but uh, considering they've beaten Vanderbilt, Iowa, Alabama, Monmouth, I mean, they have five top fifty wins. I believe or top one hundred wins. I believe that that's tied still for first in the country. So they're rolling right along. Dayton, uh, like GP said, I think at the top that they've moved into his top twenty five and one. It's well deserved. Um, Kendall Pollard has been awesome. Charles Cook has been really good. They actually have a big man now in Steve McIlvain who they can uh, trust to actually bring size for them down low. Plus, Scoochie Smith and Kyle Davis are both really good defenders and really good players in the backcourt uh, all around that do a lot. So this is a really complete team. It's going to be an even more well-balanced team once Dijon Pierre gets back. And it's it's hard for me to look at this team as anything other than the favorite in the a10 right now yeah uh, and one more thing I, you mentioned uh McElvain. um miller said he's unlike any player he's ever coached uh and for dayton to have you know he, he's a six foot 11 dude he's got he's got a lot of beef on him and mm-hmm. can play the post really well and miller basically said listen he's changed the way that i actually coach defense and in terms of a, uh, an offensive standpoint it's not just driving kicks anymore we can really filter a lot of what we want to do through him and he's a he you know we can rely on him in the paint as well so the big takeaway from my piece is Dayton is actually probably going to wind up being even better than it's been the past two seasons, yep. which, you know, in some ways shouldn't be a, a tremendous surprise. But I think I think sometimes people will look at programs like Dayton because they're from the A-10 and they see that they kind of had a nice, nice little like hot streak. But then, OK, they'll fade back a little. They'll be good. But, you know, maybe 21. No, like Dayton very well could again be a, a team that you should be legitimately considering to factor in to make it to the second weekend of the tournament yet again. And if all, you know, goes well and they don't suffer any injuries, it, it is looking like, yes, this is going to clearly be the best team in the A-10. In terms of Arch, like at what point, if at all, do people start to let, I, let, I know everybody respects him and thinks he's the next great thing, but like he's, I don't mean this in terms of personality or I guess even in terms of accomplishment because Brad Stevens went to back-to-back championship games. But, like, he really does seem to be, like, that kind of coaching talent, right? Like, he's um, he's taking whatever he's got. And I think looking back on Brad's thing at Butler, like, he had pros. I, I don't know how many we knew were going to be pros when he enrolled them, but they became pros. But, like, what Archie did last year was crazy. Year before that, what they do? Go to an Elite Eight? Mm-hmm. And then, like, this year, like... He shouldn't be ranked 21st in the country right now. He shouldn't be 7-1 and one with a win at Vanderbilt right now. And yet, uh, I, I, I don't know. I just think he might be, of all the young head coaches, like the one with the, the most obvious skill set to be great. Am I overstating him? Am I jumping the gun on this? Uh, Sam, you can hop in on this first if you want. Um... No, I think that's probably right, to be honest. Uh, he's definitely the... He's still 38, 39, right? Uh, that's not... Am I right there? I was going to say he's the best coach under 40 right now. I don't, I don't um, believe he's 40 years old yet. 
Yeah, no. Uh, yeah, I think he's definitely the best coach under 40 right now. Um, that, that Miller tree uh, from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania is Ooh. really working out for uh, a lot of colleges and has for the last, uh, what, I guess 12 years or so since Sean's been rolling. So, yeah, I think that Archie, uh, just the way that he's able to get these guys to compete and uh, he's able to coach a lot of different styles. Like you said, that uh, with McIlvain, he's playing differently. Uh, last year, he played differently than he played the year before uh, because he had no big men. He's able to play a million different styles of basketball and it works every time. Right. And it's remarkable. Uh, there are so few guys that can do that. Another guy that I uh, mentioned, I think it was on Tuesday, was Bob Huggins, the guy that transitioned from, you know, playing that slow down, grind it out, knock down, uh, drag it out style, uh, transition to playing this up-tempo press Virginia style. That's really impressive to me. When guys switch totally to sure. uh, totally do totally new styles, uh, that's an incredibly difficult transition to make as a coach. So I, I think that, Guys that can do that, like Archie Miller, or maybe one of the more undervalued guys uh, around college hoops. I mean, you could easily make an argument that Archie Miller is already a top 10 coach in college basketball. Well, yeah, well, he's 30, by the way, he's 37 years old. Yeah. Uh, won 26 games two years ago, 27 last year. Seems on his way to something similar, if not better, um, this year. And I, I don't, I don't want to uh, speak out of turn because the person I was talking to, I, we weren't quote on the record, I don't guess. But here's my point. I talked to somebody who has worked with Arch and who has worked with other like high level guys. And um, this person told me he's, he's special, like a special, like you're a rat. Like it's, it's pretty clear to see um, he's a special coaching talent who I don't know whether it'll be at Dayton or, or, or somewhere else. I would assume at some point somewhere else, but like, it's going to be like national championship type guy like he you know he's going to be in the in those com he's going to have teams that compete for those types of things yeah listen we can kind of wrap up the uh the miller love fest with like it's it's inevitable miller archie's had so much success at dayton and he's going to continue that dayton eventually dayton's just not going to be able to compete with a, a top 10 job that's going to lure and it's going to take that to lure, I mean, listen, Archie's had his opportunities to leave Dayton sure. in the past couple of years, and he hasn't done it. And, you know, he's gotten contract extensions, and he really enjoys coaching there genuinely, just the way Shaka genuinely did enjoy VCU the time he was there and the situation. It's all about timing and all that. This is going to happen. I mean, listen, he's, he's too good. His reputation is too high. Dayton keeps winning at too big of a clip for that to eventually not land him at one of the premier jobs in the country. It's just a matter of will the timing be this year? Or will it be next year or at at the very latest? I don't even think it can last that long because I just think he's going to be so good. When you are winning at this high of a rate and, you, and people in the business are paying that much attention to you, right. um, it's, it's a different game altogether. No, I, I would say two things to that. One, you're exactly right. And in fact, you brought up Shaka. I think he's going to do exactly what Shaka did. He's going to wait for the job that he wants to open, whatever that is. But it's going to be an A-level job. Like he ain't going mm -hmm. from um, – Dayton to a B-level job because they're paying him. There's no sense in doing that. And you don't have to take that B-level job. And Dayton probably is a B-level job, honestly. But you don't have to take that second-tier job in a Power 5 conference to to get the top-tier job. Like, you can go straight from – just like Shaka went straight from VCU to a top-10 job, Arch can go straight from Dayton to a top-10 job. And, and whenever that job opens, that's that's when he'll go. It, it might be at the end of this year. It might not be for three years. But um, that that is – I'm not trying to suggest that's what he's told me. I'm just saying I understand how the business works. And, and his next move will be to a a job where you look at it and you go, yep, that's, the, that's a place where he can win a national championship. The only thing that might expedite it 
and again, I'm just I'm connecting dots here. This is not anything Arch has ever told me, um, but I think it's it's pretty common knowledge that he ain't real pleased with how the school handled the Dyson Pierre situation. Yes, it, right. Like I would, I would glean the same thing. Yes. Okay. Like when you get frustrated with your administration and, and or, or or your school in general and the way they handle something that very much affects your basketball program and presumably a young man that you care about who you don't think is guilty of what he was accused of doing and neither do authorities at the very least because they didn't file charges against him. If you get sideways with your administration and you're a desirable candidate to other places, it could lead to you going somewhere um, that you that all things being where they were two years ago, you might not have left. In other words, um, I don't know if Buzz Williams would have ever lost, left Marquette if he had a great relationship with the people at Marquette. But like it got, it got a little. Buzz hated the way you remember when they suspended him. I think for a game and made him fire an assistant coach. Yes, that like yes. that 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 mattered to him, and and mm-hmm. that that was a turning point in his relationship with the Marquette administration. And next thing you know, he's the coach at Virginia Tech. I'm not saying he would have stayed at Marquette no matter what. I'm just saying that that, that mattered to him, that resonated. That ne- if you talk to Buzz today, he'd say, like, he, he does not agree with the way Marquette handled that situation. And again, I'm not speaking for Arch. I'll let Arch speak for Arch. But uh, I can't, if you genuinely believe, I, I'll say this, Arch has a little girl. I don't think there's any scenario where Archie Miller would let somebody who he believes is rapist be on his basketball team, mm. and he's about to bring this kid back on his basketball team, and yet that school removed him, Dyson Pierre, um, even though there real there's no fit. Far as I know, and as far as every report I've read, there's no physical evidence, and it, it's very much a he said she said thing, and he's insisted from the beginning. I I I'll, we don't have to get too deep into it. I'll just say this: that would concern me if I were a Dayton fan. That if I know my head coach or believe my head coach. Um, isn't a fan of the way my administration handled a, a, a situation um, that could, I don't want to say put one foot out the door, but you know what I'm saying. That could expedite the whole thing. Just, a yeah, bit. It, yeah, exactly. Um, because you know, honestly, you know, this, the way these things work is for right or for wrong, the the coach at either the football and or the, uh, the basketball institutions at these universities, they ultimately, in the public eye, wield the most power because, you know, the civic connection fans have to their local university sports teams, um, you know, that just brings on a tremendous amount of power and influence. And so when things like that can happen, coaches know that they can get themselves in certain advantageous positions uh, with good intentions or bad, I mean, it kind of depends on the coach and the situation. But you, you are right. This is it. It certainly didn't help Archie Miller's standing with Dayton overall. I'm not saying it by any means will make him want to leave. I'm just saying, you know, all things considered, I think you are onto something that is relatively accurate because coaches certainly, if they don't feel like they've got all the backing from people at their school and their administration, and I will note that. This isn't a situation within the athletic department. This is people at the University of Dayton not connected to the athletic department um, that banned Dijon Pierre from the semester for school for this for this case. And uh, it definitely is messy. And, you know, it kind of only made headlines in college basketball circles. But it's one of those things where if this same kind of deal happened with a football program at like a top 20 program, it probably wouldn't have been like a huge, massive national story. I mean, think about what the Jameis Winston thing was. I mean, how massive that was. Um, So in that regard, Dayton's almost maybe a little 
uh, lucky that it, it, it kind of was kept within the, the, the small universe of college hoops. Okay, we're 23 minutes in. We basically talked about uh, iPhone texting and uh, MacBook texting and Archie Miller. So let's, uh, let's bounce around a few <laughs> other things. Meantime, last night, Sam, Wichita State beat UNLV. Um, that was in Coke Arena. Fred Van Bleet got 17-4-4. Connor Frankamp made his debut, didn't make a shot. I think it was 0-5 from the field, 0-3 from three-point range. Either way, Wichita State's now 4-4. Four and four. They're not healthy, but they've got their point guard back and they got their transfer in. Uh, they get Utah at home on Saturday. Obviously a big game. They need at-large, uh, they need wins for their at-large resume. Uh, are you a believer in Wichita State yet? Are we still thinking that they're going to enter the NBC tournament, needing to win the NBC tournament? That's a real tough question. Right. <laughs> um, uh, last night's game was really ugly against UNLV. I think that Matt said that in his write-up of the game that if UNLV would have came with a C-plus effort instead of a C-minus effort, mm -hmm. that they probably win that game. And I tend to agree with that. Uh, UNLV just didn't look great last night, but neither did Wichita State. Uh, but those are the kind of games that Wichita State over the past few years has won. They've won those ugly games where they can uh, really force you into a lot of things that you don't want defensively. Uh, Fred Van Vliet was great. Mm -hmm. Again, I think he went like 7 for 15 from the field, uh, had a bunch of assists, maybe like 5 or so, uh, and generally was the guy that they needed Fred Van Vliet to be. Um, if he's that guy and if he's not feeling any effects of the leg injuries that have held him out this year, I think they probably win against Utah this weekend. And if they can win against Utah this weekend, go to Seton Hall next weekend and win. I mean, if they can go like 16 and two, 17 and one in the uh, Missouri Valley, that might get them in at large. I would say that's like, hard. I, I don't think I it's... think that will personally, but that's going to be hard to do, man. No, yeah, I, that's, like, yeah, that's the other issue. That's yeah, the thing. Is. Evansville and North, uh, Northern Iowa are both really good. Uh, Wichita, you know, you can get caught by some of those other, uh, MVC teams like Loyola, uh, Indiana state. Sure. Um, there might be a couple others this year that are at least decent. And they're still down uh, two rotation players. Illinois state's another one. That's pretty good too. Um, yeah, they're still down two rotation players in Landry Schmidt and, uh, Anton Grady. If they get those guys back, uh, that'll obviously help. Uh, what is the status on Grady? I, I assume Grady he's Grady. The, the status on Grady is there's no definitive timeline when he's coming back, but Grady for anyone that might not be, that might need their memory jogged. Uh, Grady took that weird and scary fall um, during Wichita's uh, tournament down in Orlando and had the spinal concussion. He is at least a couple of weeks back from returning, but they expect him back for sure um, for conference for conference play. He's doing light practice work with the team, so he's going to be back. Um, Landry, I, I, Landry, I don't know. There's still the possibility that he might not uh, play this year, depending on what his rehab and his recovery is, because. You get to a certain point where if you've missed so many games, you might just take the red shirt because you don't want to expire a season that only ends, amounts to seven or eight game playing time yeah. games. So I think we're still that one is still up in the air overall. Um, another team that is off to a great start, uh, not unlike Dayton, but even better than Dayton is, is Purdue. They're ten and zero now. They got ten double digit wins. Uh, they're ranked third at Ken Palm. Their only issue, to the extent that they have an issue, is that they don't have that marquee win right now. They've got a victory over Florida by 15. They beat Pitt by 13. They beat New Mexico by 12. But they haven't gone out and knocked out like you know another top 25 team. But they get a nice little stretch sure. um, starting next weekend. They get Youngstown State this weekend. Then they're off, presumably, for finals. But then they get a stretch where they get 
Butler on a neutral, Vanderbilt at home, at Wisconsin, Iowa at home, Michigan at home. So they'll have an opportunity to get some quality wins there, or I should say some additional quality wins. I guess, let me ask you this. Um, like, is that is that the most underrated team in the country? Like, they're not in the top 10, I don't believe, in most places, but they are, they're performing like a top 10 team, and they're beating the hell out of everybody. Like, are we looking at a Final Four caliber team that Matt Painter's got? Oh, I think absolutely. Um, there are a top five defense probably in the country. I mean, Number those two. Yeah, those big guys, you, you can't score in the paint on them. They're giving up the lowest two-point percentage in the country at 35.7. Uh, they actually defend the perimeter really well because, hey, they have Rayfield Davis, who was the Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year last year. Um, they do a lot really, really well. I would say that their biggest concern right now is probably at the point guard spot because Johnny Hill's been okay. Uh, PJ Thompson can get, uh, I would say just a touch reckless at times, but he's been good so far. Uh, we all can. (laughs) Yeah, that's, that's a fair point. Um, but, but really like this is a really good team. They have the perfect mix of shooters who can space the floor for their big man and the big men who can, you know, kick it out to the shooters and also score inside. Uh, whenever you have that kind of size where you have Isaac Haas at seven, two AJ Hammonds at seven foot seven, one and, uh, Caleb Swanigan at like 6'8 with a ridiculous wingspan. And Vince Edwards is also 6'8 with like a 7-foot wingspan. So it's incredibly difficult to score inside on them. Uh, and if you're bringing defense to the table along with shooting, that, that's going to be a really tough out for just about every team nationally. My quickie val on Purdue right now is, uh, yeah, I would not say final. I wouldn't put them, if I were to start ranking teams that I thought were most likely to make a final four, I wouldn't put them in a top eight or so right now just because point guard don't love it personally right now we'll see what comes about otherwise i do really think i mean listen this is setting up to be the best team that painters had statistically even over uh the the famed robbie hummel years i I even want haas to be better than robbie hummel that's right absolutely and and shout out to etuan moore that's right. Those and and Juwan Johnson. Yeah, so I was trying to think, who was, who was the other one? How good were those guys? And, hey, Chris Kramer, too. <laughs> right. uh, oh, Chris Kramer, one of Jeff Goodman's favorites, without a doubt. Um, but Isaac, <laughs> Isaac Haas should even still, like, he's playing well. Like, he could even still be better. Swanigan's been better than expected. Um, so, ultimately, yeah, listen, they've been really solid. Um Better than anyone expected. That that stretch up coming, I think, should tell us plenty about it. Just because of the schedule they've had so far, has not been that challenging overall. So, but I'm super intrigued by Purdue, without a doubt. Um, I just think they have they might have a, a fatal flaw at point guard. Not that they're awful, no. but I just don't think that they're a complete team. And I and given you know the tournament setting down the road, guard play can mean a lot. Um, but it's I, not know, like they have bad guards. I think that was a really big not. misnomer coming into the year uh, because everyone was just like, oh, look at the big guys. Who's going to get them the ball and uh, who's going to play on the wing for Purdue? I actually like their wings a lot. I like Kendall Stevens a lot. I like Rayfield Davis a lot. Ryan Klein's a really good shooter. I mean, Dakota Mathias can really play. Like There are a lot of guys there on the wing and at guard who can really, really play. Um, it, the point guard like position totally... isn't great. But yeah, and not. they don't totally scare you with their shooting, especially from deep, that's all. And they make up for that a lot with their size down low, which I, I sometimes like the way that teams will play in unafraid uh, ways like that, especially if you've got some trees down low and, and not, be able, not be afraid to occasionally jack it up. But they don't have to keep you totally yeah. honest. Well, no, well, here, here's, well I'll, I'll no, say no. this, too, that I think that Stevens and Matthias are better shooters than the 33% that they're shooting right now. 
the, the large, the, the, the big thing is though, okay, so like, they, no, they're not great shooters, but um, you can't shoot against them. Like, that's the problem. Like, they, they yeah. the teams are shooting 35.7% um, against them inside the arc, 27.3% outside the arc. Like, there's no good way to score on them. Yeah. No, they're certainly, they're definitely, they're, don't get me wrong, they're really, really no, good. And are. you might yeah. be right. They're under, they might be underrated. I think some of that can come with the fact that um, fans and media might be slow. Uh, to the catch there with teams that in recent years haven't been overly impressive or haven't had stars. And so when they get off to these hot starts, there might be some subconscious uh, reticence to accept that. I don't know. But they're definitely, to me, they're a top 10 team right now, yes. I think what happens uh, more often is that if you're unranked in the preseason or you're uh, like barely ranked in the preseason, the only way to really get on somebody's radar is to like go beat you know, a, a top 20 team, you know, and they haven't done that yet. Not that they can't. Clearly they can. They just haven't played one of those yet. The, I think their best opponent they've played so far is Florida, maybe Pitt. And obviously Florida and Pitt, neither one have been ranked this year. So um, they'll have their opportunities, though, coming up, not um, this weekend, but they get Butler on a neutral on uh, December 19th. So that's a, a week from uh, this Saturday. It feels like forever ago, but it was actually this week and since the last time we spoke when Oklahoma ran Villanova uh, off the court. And I used it on Monday night to write about Villanova's um, insistence on shooting 30-something threes a game, but missing like literally 72% of them. Now, some of it is just the guys who have proven in college to be good shooters aren't making shots for whatever reason. So if they just get back to doing what they've done in the past, um, this stuff will start to balance out. But what I was more interested in uh, was I woke up Tuesday and decided just to write about Lon Kruger. And listen, I cover the sport for a living. I've known Lon for a long time. I didn't even realize how unbelievable it is what he's doing. When I went and looked at those recruiting classes, the past four None of them, the, essentially the ones that have created this team, no recruiting class ranked in the top 45 in the country. Nobody in his starting lineup was a top 115 recruit. And yet he's got a team that's consensus top 10, maybe one of the best five in the country, ranked in the top three at Ken Palm. Like, he's not in the Hall of Fame, but he's the first guy to ever take five different schools to the NCAA tournament. Somewhat because, let's be honest, he's bounced around a lot. Like, you know, John Calipari will probably never have the opportunity to do that. Neither will Mike Krzyzewski. But, but regardless, he's the only guy who's ever done it. Four different schools into the Sweet 16 or, or further. Like, like, I look at Lon Kruger, not just on what he's doing now, but what he's done, you know, like for basically 30, 25, 30 years now. Like, that, like, that's a Hall of Fame career, right? Like, is he – I sort of framed it this way. Like, he, he's maybe the – because he's so understated, maybe the most underappreciated coach yes. in America. I think he's – I think he genuinely is, like, an uh, maybe the most underappreciated coach in America, given what he's been able to do, almost without exception, wherever he's been. Uh, he, listen, there's definitely – listen, he's uh, he is definitely understated, um, not a flashy coach whatsoever – Hasn't coached at places mostly that, you know, when he coached at Florida, Florida wasn't Florida. Right. Okay. And I understand that, you know, he was uh, a big part of kind of jumpstarting that right before Donovan got there. But was at K-State, uh, Illinois was, it was, you know, right before Self came and kind of really turned that program into what it became uh, once Weber took it over. So I think there is something to that. UNLV wasn't at its flashy best when he was there. There is an interesting case to make for Kruger to be a Hall of Fame coach, considering that he is definitely, without question, going to 
eclipsed 600 wins in his college career. I also wonder if his, because uh, he coached what? He coached the he coached the Hawks, coached right? He had three that years weird... in the NBA with the Hawks. Yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah. So he had that weird, and it wasn't successful. I mean, the Hawks were Ooh. brutal when he was there. So I don't know if that counts against him or what. But yeah, he's kind of been better than anyone has kind of given him credit for. But I just think it's because of the places he's been, where he's been. They've never he's never had amazing, great, memorable teams, and so that might also count against him in the greater scheme i think on some level probably but like you look at like he just he go, and that's the other thing since getting to oklahoma like he inherited it at ken palm it was like ranked whatever it was outside of the top 100 and then got a little bit better first year better the next year better the next year better it's been better every year like he like when you talk about genuinely taking players and developing them into a high level basketball team like he's he's got to be on the short list of the best who can do it right uh yeah, yeah. i mean yeah I I, don't, I can't really make an argument against that. I think he might need, and he should get it this year, one more really memorable run because he's got yep. a, he's already got the Final Four to his name right. with Florida. Uh, he's made an Elite Eight, I believe, with K State, and if he can get to a Sweet Sixteen, but more specifically an eight, and even better, a Final Four, which I definitely think Oklahoma can get there. I mean, no doubt about it. With the roster that they have, I think that is the kind of thing that might help them push them over the top. Because yeah. listen, you know, March can mean so much to the legacy of, of these guys, and in national championships and Final Fours go, you know, rightfully a very long way. You know, um, the other thing that was interesting about that, uh, not the column, but the the me writing the column was. That was interesting about what I wrote. <laughs> no, yeah, I didn't. I, I, as as I was speaking, I realized how that was coming out. I don't. I didn't mean it that way at all. Um, the reaction, like the, the thing that interested me, um, I got, I don't want to say countless cause I guess I could sit here and count them. Uh, but I'd say seven, eight, nine, ten, uh, text messages or phone calls from like college coaches, some of whom work in the big 12 are like his right, theoretically should be his rivals. And, and they were just, and, and you guys know how this is. Coaches will read, um, they'll, they'll, they'll text every once in a while about something you actually write, but like very rarely does somebody say, Hey, thank you for writing that. You know, it's just not the way like they're busy. They're coaching their teams. I got probably 10 thank yous from, from coaches who like just work, just work around the big 12 or work other places. They're like, Hey, thanks for writing that. People need to understand how good Lon is, uh, not just as a basketball coach, but he's a gentleman. Like I, I was just sort of not blown mm-hmm. away, but impressed by um, p- coaches taking saying, "God, somebody, so it's about time somebody stopped to like look at what this guy has done," mm-hmm. and 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 because like we think the world of him. Like he seems to be a um, a hugely popular figure in the co- college coach fraternity. Like um, I, I'm sure there's somebody out there that doesn't like Lon Kruger, but I can't tell you who they are. And and they and and I was. Again, not blown away, but uh, surprised, frankly, that so many people took time out to just to say, "Dude, you nailed it. Lon Kruger is awesome. Like, you, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm glad you highlighted that. People need to the casual basketball fan needs to recognize how good Lon Kruger is. So that was interesting to me. Like, he seems to. I, I think from a distance, everybody says, "Oh, Lon Kruger's a gentleman," but in the even in the coaching fraternity, like, dudes, dudes seem to like him, which I I thought was neat. That is pretty neat. It kind of you know sometimes the more soft spoken and. Uh, to yourself and humble you are the greater impact and you can have on your overall reputation without even necessarily you know aiming to do that and Kruger seems to have uh, accomplished that and you know good for him because 
I still kind of feel like college basketball fans aren't appreciating how good this Oklahoma team is and can be this year. I mean, it's a really, really fun group. Uh, really like their prospects, and I and I maintain. I'm not saying I'm never going to predict Kansas not to win the Big 12 right. with Bill Self until it actually happens. But I think that they can make it interesting and have one of the best chances in recent memory of really giving Kansas a run. And I say that by admitting that Kansas is my pick to win the title this year. Sam, you did a list of the top 100 college basketball players to date, and it started this way. Chris Dunn, Denzel Valentine, Ben Simmons, Melo Trimble, Buddy Hield, uh, And from there, you had 94 other dudes. Um what is the thing that's led to uh, an inordinate amount of people calling you stupid? Oh, so many things. Um, uh, Isaac Haas, I would say, is a big one. Um, he's been terrific this year on a per-minute basis. I think he's averaging like 14 points a game. Uh, and he's starting over AJ Hammonds, obviously. He's been really good. And Hammonds, Hammonds does appear on the list. Hammonds is playing more minutes, though. Um, the reason I didn't include Isaac Haas was because he's playing 17 minutes a game. It's really hard to impact the game as much as other players whenever you're only playing 17 minutes of it. Uh, so that's why Isaac Haas doesn't appear on the list. Um, there only being one Michigan state player is another thing. Uh, I I considered Bryn Forbes, but I kind of just like very well-rounded guys. Forbes is more of a shooter right now, uh, that really fits well within that system. So I ended up, uh, Deciding not to throw Bryn Forbes on. Uh, what are some other things? What are some things you guys noticed? Well, uh, I don't have any issue with you going Chris Dunn number one, but I think some people probably did, right? Shockingly, no. Really, no. I, I, I thought people so, would be. I thought people would be uh, throwing capes on for Denzel. Swear to God, I have not had a single person. That's interesting. Because I think it just highlights. Tell me that. I think it just like if you've watched this year, Chris Dunn is awesome. Like I've, re- I think I've reached the point where. Fine, give me Ben Simmons number one in the draft, but like I don't, I don't know that I'd pass on Chris Dunn at two. Yeah, uh, I think that that's a possibility by the end of the by the end of everything that he could go number two, Jamal Murray could go number two. There's a lot of a lot of moving pieces there, but uh, yeah, I'm trying to think what else what else people got really upset about. Uh, Tyler Eulis being a little bit high after his elbow injury is another thing that people. But it's see not yeah, but you basically and rightfully comboed performance to date. Plus projection, yeah. which is what it should be, because again, I, I kind of thought of it like Ken Palm right now, you know, where like there's still a little bit of the projection preseason as well as the, uh, you know, production that we've seen so far. It's probably more like 60 40 right now, production versus projection. And I, I like, like, even in the loss to UCLA where Ulysses like didn't shoot the ball well at all, I think he was two of 12 from the field. Yeah. He just has moments where he looks so in control of everything. Like, I like, I really like him as a point guard in college. Yeah, he's terrific. Uh, and another thing is that guy is an incredible leader. I mean, yeah. you should have seen him Get right Scout's after. Face. Yeah, right after the game. He got in Scout's face at UCLA. Uh, right after uh, the game, he was just like, yeah, we don't have guys that are fighting right now. We need uh, guys to continue fighting. I mean, that guy is just someone that you would want to go to war with every time. Uh, one guy that I did notice from doing this list that I feel like we haven't talked enough about is Gary Payton at Oregon state. Right. Uh, he's averaging 16, eight and five with three steals. He's one of the best perimeter defenders in the country. Uh, ridiculous athlete. He's shooting a little bit better this year. Um, he legitimately might lead that team 
to an NCAA tournament berth. Like he is yeah. really, really, really good. And I feel like we haven't talked about him since the start of the year. He came in at 17. The other guy in your top five that we haven't actually mentioned his name on this podcast today, because we've mentioned Chris Dunn and Denzel Valentine and Ben Simmons and Buddy Hill, Mello Trumbull, who has been off. <laughs> like you, like he gets like, I was, I, I don't know that I completely subscribed, but I was at least very aware of how many close games Maryland won last year and how that could be just sort of chalked up to a luck factor. Like the ball bounced their way. And, and, and you know, sometimes it won't. And it'll all balance out over time. I'm starting to think the ball bounces their way because of him. Like, um, I, I, uh, like dude. I, I get that idea of it because he's such a good closer at the end. I mean, you can trust him to go and get a foul. He has that like kind of James Harden-y thing where yes. he can uh, just put his arms out and people will rake across them. Whenever he finishes and he'll get to the line and he'll finish really well and you know he's going to actually make his foul shots. So that's a really big thing and it's something I considered whenever I said, hey, Maryland, you know, they're the team at the top that still has kind of a chance to fall a little bit. Uh, But I don't know. I'm still not totally sold on them being uh, for sure even better than Purdue right now oh, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I, I I'm fine with that whatever like we could debate Maryland Purdue I'm just saying I it feels to me like Mellow Trimble is going to go down not go down like we're not going to be talking about this in 40 years but like Mellow Trimble is going to be somebody who forever people are going to nitpick this and say I don't know about that and I don't know about that mm-hmm. and he's just going to go out in big games and get you 25 and go 14 to 15 from the free throw line like it seems like he's forever you're going to doubt and wonder and question and then he's just going to go out and win you a game again. Yeah, I mean, I really I like someone it. that nitpicked him to death coming into the year because yeah. I was trying to figure out like where his uh, NBA draft stock could possibly be. I mean, I, I nitpicked the defense. I nitpicked the playmaking ability. The defense isn't quite there yet, but he's become by leaps and bounds, a better playmaker this year. Uh, he's finding different guys in different ways that he wouldn't see them even last year it seems like the game has slowed down even further for him this year like he's kind of being more patient waiting for the help to come to him then finding uh these little dump offs or these kickouts. like it's really really impressive what he's done i kind of went into a little bit detail uh into in the top 100 thing that i wrote um he's putting himself in position to be a first round pick right now i would say maybe not this year maybe next year but he's been really, really good, and I've been really impressed with the way that he's developed this year, uh, just even beyond what was a great, great freshman season. All right, so we're recording this on Thursday afternoon. I think there's really only one top 25 game tonight, uh, Iowa-Iowa State. Mm-hmm. Um, whatever, it's at, uh, it, it's, it's at Iowa State, so the Cyclones should win that. They're still undefeated, by the way. But this weekend, like pretty good Saturday of games. You get uh, Utah-Wichita State, which is interesting for all the reasons we've talked about before with Wichita State. Um, a surprising Arizona State team at Kentucky. I don't think Kentucky will be at risk, but Arizona State's been better than most thought. Carolina at Texas. Um, Cincinnati at Xavier. That might be the best one. Florida at Michigan State. UCLA at Gonzaga. What stands out to you, Norlander? All right. Um, one that stands out to me, just a real quick one, uh, that could be big to that conference's overall profile and could further muck up the Pac-12 is I think Boise State's going to beat Oregon, um, so that's kind of a sneaky one on CBS Sports Network at seven. They need one. Boise yeah, they needs definitely one need. It. The league needs a needs a good win, and I think that Boise State's going to get it there. Shout out to Leon Rice. Shout Caroline, out to Leon Rice. Absolutely. Shout out uh, to Etwan Moore. <laughs> yeah, we can do weekly shout outs to Etwan Moore from here on out if you'd like. <laughs> um, Carolina, Texas, to me, Texas has been 
something of a disappointment to this point. Listen, it's going to take Shaka some time to get everything in a road that he wants it to and get that program really humming. But they haven't been as consistent as I expected them to be. All of that goes away in public perception if they can knock off Carolina on Saturday. That is probably too big of an ask, but I think it will be a pretty close and very entertaining game. And there's a quick word on Cincy at Xavier. Uh, it's not going to make the, the the column, really. I don't think that I wrote about Archie. But Archie said, listen, I'm not just blowing smoke. I'm telling you, Xavier is one of the five best teams in the country right now. Without question, without a doubt, Billis went on TV a couple nights ago, and Billis said he thinks Xavier can win the national championship. So I don't even want to say necessarily it's hyperbole, but everyone is loving Chris Mack's team. Let's just consider that Cincinnati is absolutely no pushover either. That game is fantastic. The Bearcats only have one loss. They got into a fist fight a few years ago. They did, uh, absolutely. <laughs> they did, and Chris Mack, <laughs> and who's Mack my, will love us bringing that up on the podcast, who's reminding my, everyone. Who's my dude who said, uh, "Zip them up"? Oh my gosh! Oh, I know it. Uh, Two Holloway. Two Holloway said, um, <laughs> "Said we had to zip them up." That was just that was that was, that was a crazy set. I think. I hope I'm not mixing up my ears, but I believe didn't that happen the same day as Kentucky, that Indiana, Indiana beat Kentucky? Yep, it was the same day as Christian Wofford shot. It was yeah, um, it was an insane, insane Saturday, December um, 2011. There we go. So Cincinnati is eight and one. Only loss came by two points to a really solid Butler team. Zip them up. Uh, without a doubt, listen, Cincy Xavier is one of the best rivalries in college hoops. Love this game. Love that it's back on uh, campus sites after the zip them up led into a, a neutral quota for, for a couple of years. <laughs> yeah, I just think that could be a really, really good game. Um, and Cincinnati can win. But for anyone that hasn't seen Xavier yet, do try and try and check it in. That, that, My that, dude's that at a private title. university talking about zip them up. <laughs> Loved it. That was the highlight of the year. Mm. I, I, I will never not love that quote. <laughs> I, I hear you, buddy. I hear you. Oh, man. Zip him up. Sam, any games for the Saturday? Well, but Paris is still reeling and zip him up. He's probably going to try and break that <laughs> hashtag, I'll be honest. But uh, uh, Well, North Carolina plays Texas. I think that'll be pretty interesting because it's in Texas. Uh, it's in Austin. So that'll be, uh, that'll be a big one for Shaka because North Carolina looks like the best team in the country again. Uh, and Texas has been okay so far. I would say they're five and three with losses to uh, some pretty decent teams. I don't know that I'm even going to count that loss to Washington and China because that game was one of the ugliest games that we've seen all year due to foul calls and everything. Um, they've won three in a row. They're rolling along a little bit. They've been better recently. Um, Florida at Michigan State is also kind of interesting because Florida. They've been okay so far. Uh, I kind of like what I've seen from them against lower teams. I mean, they beat St. Joseph's pretty well. They beat a solid Richmond team by like 20 or something like that. Miami Um, handled them pretty easily, though. Yeah, Miami handled them pretty easily. Purdue handled them pretty easily. Uh, So I kind of want to see Florida continue to play these higher-end teams to see – kind of where they are as far as a litmus test because Dorian Finney-Smith's been really good. The big guy, Johnny Boone, who's been pretty good. Uh, Casey Hill's still been Casey Hill, though. Devin Robinson's still pretty inconsistent. If they can get those two guys to come along, I think that could be a top-four team in the SEC. Um, we'll see what happens, though, in that one. Another one. I'm trying to think if there are any more really yeah, fun one. ones. UCLA-Gonzaga's well, yeah, yes. not bad. Yes. Let's see yeah. what Gonzaga does here because they lost to Arizona – they and really it doesn't flirted. look like Karnowski's going to play. 
Right, um, Karnowski probably won't be on the floor, and they really flirted with a bad, not bad, but you know you don't want to lose at home ever. Montana's not awful, but they Montana's almost got good. clipped. They almost got clipped by Montana the other night. So UCLA, fine, but like that's Gonzaga in the camp. You can't exactly. Yeah, yeah you, you don't lose that game. I agree with you, but you, I'm don't, get, you, don't, get, you don't get pushed in that game. They got they got like they were they were they were in a bad spot. Yeah, they probably should have gone to overtime in that game. Yeah. I, I want to say it was Silas Melson just made the worst gamble for a steal in a situation ever. And he gave a like 45% three point shooter who'd already made a ton of threes in that game, like a wide open right. shot for the tie. Um, that, that was really bad. Their guards are, uh, have been really, really, uh, I would say inconsistent and very, uh, very, they're just struggling right now. I mean, they're not playing well, uh, on either side of the floor, I would say, um, and that's what makes Shemek Karnowski such an important piece for them because he's a guy that you can throw the ball to in the high post and take a lot of pressure off of the guards on offense as far as creating offense. And then defensively, he's one of the best rim protectors in the country. He's a guy that I really wanted to find a spot for in my top 100. I just left them off in the end. If he comes back and plays really, really, really well, I probably will put him on my top 100 next time. All right. Well, uh, let's get out of here. I think we've uh, I think we've said enough. I think we have, and I think you've got to get back to using iMessage on your computer. Hey, I'm going to text you guys. Dude, seriously. How, hey. how many iMessages have you sent off during this podcast? Zero. I thought that'd be rude to, to text it right in the middle of a podcast. But, like, I just uh, I just sit on my computer and I just text message people now. Like, I'm such a better communicator now. Like, I, feel, I feel like I'm going to be a better friend and a better mm-hmm. colleague just because um, I've always got my computer open right in front of me. And now I can just type into that the same way I can type into Twitter. You just got to stop the sword fights, man. Just be aware of the sword fights. That's all. Why did he hit my drink into my MacBook? But turns out, like, inadvertently, he's, like, really he's really changed my life in a positive way. Changed there my life go. in a positive little, way. Little, little Oliver Carter, Eugene, Parnell, <laughs> Parnell Parrish. Oliver Carter, Gene, uh, Parnell Parrish. That's right. I still don't know why I didn't name him Oliver Parnell Parrish. How good would that have been? It would have been the best thing ever. It really honestly. would have been the best. Shout out to Oliver Purnell. Shout out to Etwan Moore. Remember shout out you to Zip him up. <laughs> Man, listen. You let Xavier go up uh, 12-2 on Saturday. Hashtag, hashtag Zip him up. It, I'm going to be looking for it. It, it. You won't even have to look. I'll hit you with it. Remember, <laughs> you can subscribe to the Ion College Basketball Podcast at iTunes. That's the quickest way to get your hands on the latest episode. Do that and uh, enjoy your weekend. I'm going to enjoy mine. and We're going to meet back here. Uh, Monday, I promise. Till then, take care.